Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest and one of our regular energy residents, Robert Rapier. Robert, welcome back to In the Oil Patch radio show. Thanks, Kim. How have you been? I've been great. And I want to say thank you. Our listeners had an opportunity to hear you host a show while I took some time off. I greatly appreciate it. And you had a powerhouse on your show, a TikTok sensation, if you will. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what you thought about hosting the show and the guests that you interviewed. So yeah, it's a little bit more of a challenge on this, on on your side of the mic, because you're trying to manage the time and the commercial breaks and everything. And You see that you've got a minute left and you go, well, do I answer this question or do I try to fill this out for the next minute? Um, So that was the main thing is just but but in both cases, in both shows that I did, I had questions left over. Um, The the show went very well with Matt Randolph, who the TikTok guy. And in fact, um, I've I've got on TikTok since then. He encouraged me to. He said, I'd like to do a TikTok live with you and just talk about energy issues. And he told me that in, um, I think in an hour and a half, we had like 180,000 likes on that TikTok. So uh, that was just outstanding engagement. So I, you know, I, I've recorded some TikTok videos now. I'm talking a little bit about energy issues. It's a, it's a funny audience because most of them are very appreciative and thankful. And some of them are just rude and obnoxious and very yeah. troll-like. And uh, the worst are, you know, when I bring data, and they say, you're a liar. I mean, I go, I just showed <laughs> data. I mean, I, like literally this happened yesterday. I showed data and people would go, you're a liar. I don't believe it. I work in the industry. I don't believe that. And I've, I'm like, okay, I mean, you can argue with the Energy Information Administration. I'm just reporting the numbers. Well, you know, Robert, it's kind of important that we address, first of all, you're a chemical engineer by trade and have been in the energy industry for most for over 25 years. And you're a senior contributor at Forbes. Your data is your data. It's rock solid. It's funny how these people don't question somebody like John Kerry, who, by the way, has never worked in the energy industry, very much like me, but wants to go out and tell everybody what we need to do. And yet here we have a seasoned chemical engineer in the energy industry and and these same people challenge you and question it. And it and it makes me wonder you know, why in this show, we're going to cover some of these things that people just refuse to listen, common sense data, let themselves get completely wrapped up in most of this. I'm not trying to deny climate change, but I am trying to say we have to have a path. And and the way it appears these people want to do it is there's no path. There's There's no transition. There's no evolution. It's just cut this off. And if we cut this off, they're, they're worried about dying in the future with climate change, but do they not realize that they're going to die right now if we cut the cord, if you will, if we just turn off the spigot oil and gas like they think we can do? So so let's talk about John Kerry. Right now, COP28 is going on, and he tweeted that it's on the verge of complete failure. Why? Because the world desperately needs, quote, the world desperately needs to phase out fossil fuels as quickly as possible. And he's claiming in his tweet that it pretty much seems as though OPEC 
wrote the finale of COPS 28 themselves. And fossil fuels is not going to go anywhere. But tell me, can we get off fossil fuels the way these people really think we can? So, I mean, here's the problem in a nutshell. Nobody wants to sacrifice, not even John Kerry. And the reason we continue to increase our fossil fuel consumption is because people enjoy the convenience and the cost of doing so. And everybody would love to have, I mean, I don't think there's anybody that wouldn't say, hey, I'd prefer we run the world on renewables if we could, if they were um, scalable, reliable. I mean, you know, non-polluting energy, that's a great concept and a great idea. But John Kerry, I'd like to say, you know, show us the way. Show us by example that you are going to, I mean, I, I did a story on Al Gore years ago where his uh, his home in Tennessee used more uh, energy than like 10 homes. I mean, it's ridiculous. If you're going to preach to the world about getting off of uh, fossil fuels, lead the way. Show how it's done. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen people again and again, activists will, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio flying private jet around the world to accept uh, climate change awards. And I, I chastised him over that in Forbes and said, you know, lead the way, show show how it's done. And the reason people don't is they think the reason we're on fossil fuels is because of the fossil fuel companies. You know, like Al Gore wants to point the finger at OPEC. That's not why we're on fossil fuels. We're on fossil fuels because it's cheap and convenient. And that's what people want. And there is no solution at this moment. No right. But he was the one who also said we wouldn't have polar bears. And from what I remember reading on him, he's almost made a billion dollars off of this climate. First of all, it was global warming. Now it's climate change. He's the one who is profiteering off of what he's saying with no scientific data, because he's certainly not a scientist himself. He's a, old, a washed up politician, if you will, telling all of us what we need to do. And this is where people can't distinguish between a fact and an opinion. And this is what I ran into yesterday, where I cited a fact based on data, and somebody came back and said, well, in my opinion, blah, 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 or, or you're a liar. You, you're arguing about a fact with an opinion. So we can say the fact is CO2 concentrations in the environment are going up. That's a fact. I mean, it's a hard fact. Some of the dire consequences are opinions. And, 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 and that's where we've got to separate, you know, uh, I'm, am I concerned about? I'm concerned about. It. I'm concerned about. Uh, you know, as more CO2 goes up, the the pH of the ocean starts to decline. We see coral reefs start to get bleached out. Um, you know, there, there are things I'm concerned about, but uh, we have to differentiate between fact and opinion, and and why the Earth is on the trajectory it is on. I mean, John Kerry has to understand. You know, this is not just. And the oil companies out there pushing oil, you know, I, California would like us to believe that. And we're, you know, they they own oil and and they they've consumed so much oil because the oil companies pushed it, and so they're going to sue them, and that's just ridiculous. There is there there are other industries and other things that are also contributing to climate change, and 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 we're not talking. It's just demonizing oil and natural gas. And and again, I live on the planet. You know, I have I'm a grandmother. I am concerned too, but I also believe in looking at, you know, Alex Epstein has a great book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. There's other countries that don't even have access, they're, they're limited to their energy resources. 
and they die sooner than we do. They have a higher infant mortality rate and no prosperous country is, is doing well if they are in energy poverty. There's a lot of things to look at. Um, if we were to just completely remove ourselves off of oil and gas, we would all for sure die. So the solution is quite complicated. And, and there is not, no silver bullet here. It's going to take time and it's going to take a consorted effort globally to look at these things. We don't have enough of any one energy resource to switch. And so it's complicated. And we need to keep that in mind. That being said, you know, you are one of our regular energy contributors here, an energy expert, and I want to do a debrief of what we saw 2023 in this show and where you think we're going to go in 2024. So now that we have talked about COPS 28 and that it probably is not going to remove us off of oil and natural gas and all of the woke, all their heads are going to explode. Okay, let's get to the real stories. Let's talk about how the war in Ukraine marches on and we are having to provide energy resources, natural gas to Europe in light of that Russia's oil import that they were supplying has been taken offline to the tune of about what half a million barrels per day. So tell me a little bit about what do you think is happening as the war in Ukraine marches on? Okay, so... What happened right after Russia invaded is the Biden administration made a decision, we're going to stop importing Russian oil. And that was mostly finished products. It was mostly uh, partially processed oil. It was diesel. It was things like that. So we said, we're not going to import that anymore. We're going we're to embargo Russian oil. Well, the problem is that really disrupted the markets in the U.S., um, I, my former uh, boss at ConocoPhillips is one is a refinery manager out in California now. And he told me he said, he said, man, we cannot make enough diesel, and diesel prices are skyrocketing, and mm -hmm. uh, that and, and as we try to shift to make more diesel, that's costing us gasoline, and and that's causing a gasoline shortage. And he said we really are having trouble filling the hole from the loss of the Russian uh, imports. So. Severe disruption last year, and we saw it in prices. Uh, after Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, oil prices spiked over $100 a barrel. Gas prices spiked. Diesel prices really spiked. And the reason they spiked so much is because so much of what we got from Russia went into diesel production. So the markets were severely disrupted last year because of that. This year, it has started to return to normal. Um, as as uh, refiners find other sources of oil. They find, you know, they, they fill their slate and you know, they need a, a refinery uses a particular type of oil for optimal uh, production. And if they lose the Russian oil, they've got to find something else to replace that. And they may have to, you know, tweak the refinery a little bit. And so this year things have returned back toward normal. Uh, gas prices still aren't where they were, you know, three, three, four years ago. Uh, diesel prices aren't where they were, but things have slowly started to return to normal. So with the ongoing sort of status quo with, with Russia and Ukraine, um, I think this is what we're going to see. We're going to see prices, you know, maybe about where they are, you know, again, pending pending OPEC's moves, uh, pending what they do, because right. they're they're trying to control prices, trying to control the market, but they're they're losing control. 
Well, Robert, let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to talk about the war and inflation, the repercussions of that. Also talking about gas. Uh, We're coming up on a political cycle. So I want to see how they're going to utilize natural gas, crude, as well as the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Can Biden use that one more time as we're moving into November into the political cycle? And then just talking about cybersecurity, AI, OPEC, as you mentioned earlier, I want to come back and cover that. Then I want to cover some of the stories that got the most visibility on Forbes and some of the reasons why you think when we're talking about energy. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, a regular contributor here on In the Oil Patch Radio Show as an energy expert, as well as a senior contributor for Forbes. Robert, you're also a chemical engineer and have worked over 25 years in the energy industry as well. Before the break, we were discussing COPS 28, how the war in Ukraine continuing to to march on has caused problems pertaining to the energy sector. Let's move into inflation and the repercussions as, you know, high inflation peaked and it was seemed to be like a short-term consequence of the war and it is starting to subside. But there's also no sign that we're going to go back to zero inflation anytime soon. What kind of headaches did this cause for the energy industry? And what do you think we'll continue to see in the future in 2024 as inflation also rages on? So it's funny because um, the energy industry benefited quite a bit from inflation. Um, and and I, I take exception to people like Bernie Sanders who say inflation was caused by high oil company profits. He's He's got the, the cause and effect backwards. High inflation is caused by high oil prices, and that leads to high profits from the oil companies. So so it's completely messed up cause and effect. But thing is, everything in the economy, uh, you know, the economy runs on oil. So when oil prices spike, you see the price, you see the inflationary effect across many industries. So an oil price spike may help out with, uh, you know, ConocoPhillips, for instance, but UPS, you know, it hurts them. Um, it, it digs into their profits. And so they have to raise prices. And so you see this price effect across the across everything. And I've, I've always maintained that the biggest factor in the inflation surge that, that happened in starting in late 2020, 2021, 2022, was because of the severe disruption of the oil industry in COVID when, when, uh, when the oil prices went negative. The U.S. lost 3 million barrels a day of production, but demand rebounded pretty quickly, and it took us nearly three years to get oil production back to where it was. So that provided a lot of upward pressure on oil prices, which rippled through the economy. But at the same time, we saw that upward pressure on oil prices, you know, that's that's great for the oil companies. Um, consumers hate it, and we hate to pay a lot for uh, gasoline, but the oil companies have thrived in this in this high price environment. 
not all industries. I mean, high high inflation is often caused by high oil prices, but the oil companies tend to benefit from that. Well, you know, we spoke about cops and then um, John Kerry, and now you're talking about Bernie Sanders. And it just appears as though if you're hearing something from an elected official, they usually do not have any understanding of oil, fossil fuels. It's actually the opposite, typically. So I'm just telling our listeners, pay attention to that because they usually have poor energy policies. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about gas as a geopolitical commodity. And now oil has always been a geopolitical commodity. Now what's happening with natural gas as the war in Ukraine continues, Russia has attempted to weaponize natural gas exports and impact Europe's supply for Ukraine, causing major shifts in the European gas supply chain. That being said, it's also led to an unprecedented increase in LNG exports. Now, back here at home, we have a lot of people upset that oil and gas production has been bigger and better than ever before, especially in 2023. Most people don't understand if Biden is the president, that it was going to remove us from fossil fuels and phase it out. It actually seems to have had the opposite effect. He actually seems to be one of the best presidents for record levels of oil and natural gas. What's going on here? So it's funny you say this because this was what I posted on TikTok yesterday. This is what really angered some people. Biden's <laughs> Biden's impact on the oil and gas industry is almost irrelevant. Um, what, what, what is driving production is prices that were high. And so what the president, who who happens to be president right now, it doesn't matter who's president right now, we were going to be setting records. Um, and so, you know, the people wanted to make this political. And I've said, look, I'm not going to get political. I'm just going to give you the facts. And, and I ran an analysis yesterday. And by the time this show airs, this will be a fact. The U.S. will have set a new annual production record for oil. That's going to happen on December the 15th. Uh, we're recording this before December 15th. I can pin it down based on EI data that it will happen on December 15th. We will set a new record for oil production. And the record this year will likely be about 5% higher. And some people said, oh, you're a liar. Rigs are idle. Or I work in the industry. You're lying. And I'm like, hey, this is EIA data. I'm not making this. I didn't just pull this. I didn't say, in my opinion, we're going to set a record. This is data I'm reporting to you. And so, uh, you know, people got very angry. But this is driven by oil prices, and it's driven by fracking. Um, the, we're we're going to set a record in natural gas production as well, but uh, we won't know that. Uh, that won't be finalized until sometime in 2024. The EIA publishes weekly production numbers on oil. And that's how we can drill down. And I can actually say this is the day we'll set the record because they have pretty precise uh, oil production numbers on a week to week basis. Um, and, and you know, I imagine where the world would be right now without U.S., without the surge of U.S. gas production. I mean, without all the LNG that we're putting into Europe. I mean, mm -hmm. Russia would really be holding the cards, uh, but we've made it a lot harder for Russia uh, we've made it a lot harder for OPEC because of the surge in production in the U.S. And uh, somebody asked me, does that mean the U.S. controls prices? No, but the U.S. makes it harder for OPEC to control prices. OPEC is trying to cut production so they can get prices higher, but the U.S. keeps increasing production. 
Now there is one red flag on the horizon. Um, the rig, the rig count has fallen year over year. Um, you know, coming out of COVID, we steadily increased the rig count, but now it's falling. Now that does foreshadow uh, falling oil production at some point in the future. Over the past year, we've worked down the wells that were drilled but uncompleted, the ducts drilled uncompleted wells. Um, but the rig count is going to have to go back up if we're going to see oil production continue to increase. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. You know, we do still have several thousand uncompleted wells, but as we work that inventory down, we're going to have to drill new wells if we're going to keep oil production uh, high. Very good. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to talk about cyber threats and AI. It's evolving. It's coming into the oil and gas industry. And I want to get your opinion on what are operators and midstream companies downstream looking at when they're having to address cyber threats as well as artificial intelligence. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, a regular energy contributor here on the show, as well as a chemical engineer with over 25 years experience in the oil and gas industry. Robert, before the break, we were discussing the energy market, how it has gone up and down with inflation, the backdrop of Ukraine and the war, and of course, as energy always is, the geopolitical hot potato, if you will, for most elected officials. But I want to switch gears because something that has been catching my attention has been cyber threats and artificial intelligence. It's being used more and more all over. I do remember watching Tucker Carlson when he was interviewing Elon Musk talking about the threat of artificial intelligence and his concerns of there really is no rules when it comes down to artificial intelligence, and yet it's teaching itself. And understanding how important oil and gas is, and there's always cyber threats facing the energy industry, how important and how much of a threat do you think it is now? And where do you see the energy companies going in the future, 2024, with artificial intelligence? So, yeah, artificial intelligence is something I... I keep close tabs on. I, I use it all the time. And the way I generally use it, I'll, I'll sometimes in my writing, I'll think, I don't like the way this paragraph reads. And I'll pop it in and say, rewrite this paragraph for me. And it'll rewrite it. And I'll look at it and say, okay, I can use part of this. And I can, I, but it, it also still, AI hallucinates a lot. Um, and by that, I mean, um, you know, when there's a new AI, the first thing I always ask it is, who am, who am I? And I have had it spit out like detailed biographies of me that are just wrong on so many aspects. And so uh, that's so far, you know, AI is getting better and better, but it still uh, makes a lot of mistakes. Um, however, I, where it is really good is in coding. Um, you know, if I want uh, Excel to do something specific, I can say, you know, give me a give me a formula for this thing that I want and it'll spit it right out. 
And so it can also be used to create viruses, computer viruses. And uh, we're seeing that happen more and more. And 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 that's one thing oil companies are going to have to be uh, wary of and watchful for is, uh, you know, AI is trying to penetrate um, and, and get into their systems. Um, you know, oil, you know, a refinery, for instance, you know, they their stuff is all, you know, it's digital. They're controlling valves and temperature and pressure and everything. Yeah. And if something can get in there and, and you know, start shutting things down or I mean, there there is potential for a lot of mischief. And, um, you know, even it doesn't even have to be AI. You know, you get we get emails all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Click on this link. Uh, you know, I, I get them sometimes purportedly purportedly from my CEO saying, hey, uh, I need you to do this for me. And I'll go, well, you're in the office right next to me. Why would you send me an email? Um, and it's, you know, it's not, it's somebody else. So, uh, you know, hackers, they're going to make use of AI. Uh, that's where it's very dangerous. Um, but, you know, it's going to get stronger and stronger. It's not going to go away. It is kind of like the Wild West. There's not a lot of uh, guardrails on. And my yeah. wife just told me this morning, she said, she's been playing around with it. She said, do you know how powerful this is? I said, yes, I do. It's and scary. And yeah. Nice, but it's scary. You know, it, I remember when I interviewed uh, Mike Coward uh, right after we were released from COVID and, you know, I asked him, how did your company deal with having to open up your mainframe, if you will, to let vendors in? And, and of course, your employees working from home. And, you know, he went on to say it was quite scary and complex, they were learning as they go. Now it seems the opposite, which is, okay, we're no longer in COVID and we got used to letting our employees sign in from a third-party portal from their home. Now it's the opposite with cybersecurity and everything that, you know, they're, they're these complex ecosystems that they're dealing with, their partners or suppliers, they're all connected into this network. And just, you know, one bad actor, third party breach on their end could put their whole system at risk. And now the recommendation from what I'm reading is it's just go, we're going to go back to a zero trust strategy, which they probably need to to be more protective and proactive in managing that risk factor. The thing that scares me the most, all of these people all over the world being able to tap into systems and potentially committing a terrorist act uh, would not be a good thing. I will say um, and so, it also has a lot of potential, though. I mean, for, for you know, if I'm working in a refinery, I can have the AI try to optimize uh, an operation. I can I can have it learn. I can. That's true, too. There's a lot of potential. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of pressure and stress on the oil and gas industry, plus all of the, uh, you know, climate change discussion and, and and jargon. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to get on ESG and talk a little bit about where we are with ESG and supply chain issues. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, a senior writer for Forbes, as well as a resident energy expert for In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Robert, 
we've gone through a couple of different things pertaining to climate change, uh, what's happening in the oil industry, inflation, uh, the new election cycle coming up, which I am not looking forward to that at all. Uh, it's negative Nelly time. Here we go. But but um, through through 2023, I had uh, two guests that uh, I remember interviewing and talking to. One of them was an executive from um, BlackRock, uh, Rich Cashel, and then uh, Harold Hamm recently on his new book. We both were talking about ESG pressures. Um, and from BlackRock's uh, point of view, they were not doing anything that was uh, limiting or penalizing the oil and gas industry with their shareholders. On the other side of the spectrum was Harold Hamm. And his basic assessment to me was that he believed that ESG would go somewhere and just kind of die. And I have to say that I, I, well, I don't think it's going anywhere to die. I do see that the pressure seems to be lowering when we're talking about ESG and the reputational risk that energy uh, industries um, are dealing with. Is it because um, the banks and Wall Street are understanding they kind of, you know, this is not a good idea even for them to be focusing on an environmental social and governance pressures and putting it on oil and gas industry. Where do you think we are with ESG as a whole? Is it going to stick around? Is it going to continue to be um, measured and actually have some teeth into it? Or is it just going to kind of go away as we try to move towards decarbonization? Yeah, I think it's going to stick around. But at the end of the day, the important thing is the returns. So, you know, you can try to divest oil and gas companies all you want, but as long as they are performing very well, you know, that's that's really the bottom line. That's what investors are going to do. They're going to invest in things that are doing well. And I've made the point before that some of these uh, colleges that completely divested their oil and gas holdings cost themselves a tremendous amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of them divested just before, you know, oil, oil companies in, in uh, 2021, 2022 uh, the energy sector was the top performing sector in those two years. And yet, you know, colleges had had uh, divested in 2020 or 2019. And I wrote an article about it. I said, these colleges cost themselves billions of dollars in, in divestment. And at the end of the day, you know, you can say, well, I, you know, we're doing it because we don't want to have any part in climate change or whatever. Well, somebody else is going to buy those shares. I mean, those you're you're not hurting the industry as long as they are making profit. Um, you know, somebody's going to invest in them. ESG took a big hit this year. It, it got a big black eye because uh, uh, a lot of the renewable companies starting in about summer really got battered. And, um, and, and, you know, a lot of that was, you know, a lot of money had flowed into ESG investing, regardless of financial metrics. And, you know, when that happens, eventually, you know, the fundamentals went out and the companies that had gotten maybe ahead of themselves, uh, thinking returns were going to be great, you know, as far as the eye could see, they had to deal with higher interest rates and how that impacted their projects. And, and they started lowering expectations. And then, you know, that's the end of the day, you know, you may want to invest in ESG, but you you come, you know, face to face with the reality that interest rates have slammed all these projects and, and now you got a problem. And that's what's happened with ESG this year. It's not going to go away, but I think this year was a reality check. So now when they start implementing actual the ability to, to register and have um, 
some kind of rules and regulations attached to it, it's going to be something that is going to be manageable and fair and balanced, do you believe? Because we're kind of, I interviewed um, uh, American Petroleum Institute last week, and they're kind of, um, the energy industry is pretty pretty upset and kind of alarmed with some of the Legis- uh, some of the agencies and their um, desire to tweak like the EPA um, and, and of course, the Security Exchange Commission, some of these specific goals that they have in mind are really going to make matters worse pertaining to uh, ESG. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, a lot of there's always unintended consequences. You know, I, I mean, you, you think something is going to happen and you're going to you're going to make these changes and, and it ends up you didn't really understand all the dynamics involved. And, um, you know, I always I always use the Keystone Pipeline as, a, as an example of an unintended consequence. You know, we we shut down the, the Keystone XL build. And what happens? Well, in the mind of the environmentalist, what happens is, well, now that oil stays in the ground and it doesn't get produced and uh, we use less oil. That's not what happens at all. What happens is if energy consumption continues to increase as it has, the oil that would have come down the Keystone XL pipeline just comes from somewhere else. And in some cases, it comes from places with a worse environmental footprint, with worse uh, safety with worse uh, uh, worker protections. And so there are your unintended consequences. That's right. Not building the Keystone Pipeline maybe made things worse. And Robert, it's happening in a lot of these different areas because you're mentioning the pipeline, the Keystone Pipeline. And the other day when we interviewed API again, we were talking about the electric vehicle and the path forward for electrification. And the consequences will we'll have less ability to determine what we want to drive, whether it's an EV and or a you know gas-powered uh, motor. And people listening to the show are going to say, well, I'd rather have an EV. You ought to know what the cost is. And also that makes us one more time beholden to China because they're the ones who have locked up all of the rare minerals needed for those batteries, correct? So here we go again with these unintended consequences that we keep. You know, these elected officials should not be putting their staff or whoever they're putting on these committees and, and 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 creating this. They should actually be hiring energy industry folks like you, engineers and people that honestly understand that and can run the traps of these unintended consequences before they put it on the American people for us to have to deal with the unintended consequences of either supply chain issues, higher prices at the pump, Food shortages. I mean, the list goes on and on of these unintended consequences that they keep giving to us. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, right. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, sometimes when um, when government hires somebody out of the oil industry, like you want to hire somebody to be energy secretary, um, and and some some people are are horrified that you would think about an oil industry executive. That, that's who you should have as energy secretary. They're the ones that understand energy. They're, they're the, mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to hire somebody who is a, an activist, uh, an environmental activist. They they should not be your energy secretary. Uh, your energy secretary and, and people in government should understand how business works and how things work. Correct. And, and I think that Jennifer Gresholm is a perfect example. Zero energy experience. She's accomplished. I'm not knocking her. A great attorney. Zero experience in, in energy. How did she become... <laughs> How did she become 
the Secretary of Energy. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to on the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Robert Rapier, an energy expert here on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And this show is being dedicated to the year end. What happened in 2023 and where are we going in 2024? Hopefully we can get that answered by the end of the show. Robert, let's switch gears and talk about, you are also not only a resident energy expert with us, helping me decipher what's going on really in the energy sector, but you're also a senior contributor with Forbes. And one of your highest reaching articles with over almost, you're approaching 75,000 views, was an article titled U.S. Energy Independent Source to Highest Level in Over 70 Years, and you wrote it back on May 2nd, 2023. That information, a great article. Tell me why you think this was your highest visible article. What was it that you wrote in this article that piqued everyone's interest? So, and and to be clear, these articles will get republished on different sites like oil price and so forth. And sometimes the views there are even more. Uh, so, so this article has been viewed hundreds of thousands of times. And I think the reason it resonates is because, first of all, it generates some questions and it generates some disbelief. So if if you believe that we've lost our energy independence recently, suddenly, and I say, no, it's at the highest level in 70 years, You'll click on that because you want to go. What is this guy smoking? Uh, what what is what is he on? How how is he coming up with this? Um, if you are a supporter of Biden, for instance, you're going to latch onto that and you're going to you're going to want to share it with Trump voters and say, "See, we didn't lose our energy independence." Or you're going to say, "Okay, define how is he defining energy independence? I don't understand this. What does it mean?" And so it generates a lot of questions and it generates a lot of discussion and. I, so I had I had subsequent articles where I had to talk about, you know, what is energy independence? What are we talking about here? Um, you know, multiple articles that were related to that article. Um, I, I just scroll back and I, I had one in March, average gasoline prices under the past four presidents. And it's got 125,000 views at Forbes. Anything about gasoline prices always piques people's interest, especially when gas prices are high. And so I went in and I just looked at the average gasoline price across each year over the past four presidents. And, and, you know, it's just data. It's not, I'm not making any statements about anything. I'm just showing it. Here's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. and, and those articles always do well. Anything that's, um, you know, if, if you write about Venezuela and the, the disaster down there, that was, that was an article that got a lot of views, um, you know, because Venezuela has sort of ruined their oil industry by overtaxing it and pulling too much money out of it. And, and that resonates with Americans, you know, that we don't want to be like Venezuela. Those, you know, I try to stay out of politics and, and you won't see me endorsing any candidate in, in Forbes. I will never do that. But anything that people can think they can use politically, those things get a lot of views. Well, I want to talk about a specific article that you just released November 13th. It's titled Comparing ExxonMobil and Google Profits, 
profits, profit margins, and tax rates. I think it's important that I want to break that one down because here we go again with this is the time in which ExxonMobil is going to be announcing profits. And so are all the other oil and gas companies. And here we go with the rage from these elected officials and everyone else wanting to tar and feather them for record profits. First of all, answer this question. Does ExxonMobil and Chevron dictate these prices that they make these record profits and golden parachutes like our elected officials like us to believe? They have very, very little power over oil and gas prices, essentially none. Um, who, who really ultimately is responsible for these record profits? Wouldn't it be these elected officials who are setting policies the, and, and supply demand? Who's responsible for their profits is us. I mean, we're out there buying their products, regardless of gas price, regardless of oil prices, we're out there buying the products. So uh, ultimately... The, the the blame you know lies with us. If we all tomorrow just stop buying oil, ExxonMobil would start losing billions of dollars. So, uh, but but why do we do it? You know, I you know people people complain about Jeff Bezos being a, a you know multi billionaire. I say I don't care if he's a trillionaire. If he is supplying something that is helps people, uh, they find it useful and convenient. I don't care how much money they make, and and like I, I don't care what ExxonMobil makes. If we're willing to pay that and we're out there, uh, you know, it's making our lives easier. And, and it is hard to argue, you know, you can get on a plane right now and you can fly halfway around the world because of the oil and gas industry. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it, it's hard to make an argument that they don't make your quality of life better, that those oil and gas companies uh, make your life better. Um, and what I, what I did there, I just compared profits of Google. You know, Google makes more money. They make higher uh, much higher profit margins, uh, but we don't we don't think twice about Google. Google's a, a very admired company, and mm -hmm. and why? Because we don't think Google affects us. We don't think uh, you know Google's costing us anything, uh, but we do think Exxon Mobil's costing us something because we go and we fill up our tank and we. Well, in, in all actuality, Exxon Mobil, Chevron, uh, Shell are producing the very product that actually powers Google, who is a huge, huge user of energy, right? Right. But that's never said. You're right. It's it's the profits on Google are 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 fantastic. No one wants to tar and feather them in Congress in the halls of Congress. But if ExxonMobil reports that they are making uh, record amounts of profit, like you said, because of what we're using, the commodity that we need and somehow or another, they are bad. Comparison is Apple because Apple decides what they're going to charge for an iPhone. That, that is not a commodity that's going up and down based on what people are willing to pay. And so whatever Apple's profits are, they determine that with, you know, their, but ExxonMobil is not making decisions on oil prices and gas prices. That is based on supply and demand and how badly we want gasoline and, and diesel and jet fuel. And that's why they're making money. So how stable do you see the energy market for 2024? Where do you see us in the first quarter of 2024 with prices on energy? So uh, OPEC is definitely trying to boost prices and, and they're losing control to U.S. shale producers. And I expect them to more aggressively uh, cut production next year uh, because mainly presidential election. They, they would like to impact the presidential election and, and Russia would as well. So I expect them to get more aggressive. Um, I think we'll probably see a little bit of a rebound here in, in oil prices, although we are in, in low demand season. So that's that is one factor. I think we're likely, because we're starting the year at much higher oil production than we did a year ago, I think we're very likely to see another oil production record in 2024. 
But okay. um, we have to keep an eye on that rig count because, uh, you know. Well, you're saying count. December 15th, we're going to hit a new production record will, as of December will, 15th. Mark my words, we will set a new oil production record on December the 15th. That I mean, at noon. At noon on December 15th, we're going to set a new oil production record. And and if you when you hear this, it will have been done. And you can go Google my name and Forbes. And there's an article there explaining exactly how that number was calculated. And so mm -hmm. there's no you, you, there's no arguing with me about it. The, the You can argue with the Energy Information Administration because it's all their numbers. Uh, mm -hmm. But, yes, we are going to hit a record on December 15th. And even if the EIA comes back and adjusts the numbers, it's not going to affect it more than a day or so either direction. I mean, we're, we're going to have a we're going to have a record, and you know, if the oil industry shuts down on December the twentieth, we're still going to have a production record this year. Um, so that's you know, it's pretty significantly higher than it was, and so we're as long as production doesn't fall off a cliff in the second half of the year, we should set another production record next year. But you got to watch out, you know, a little bit further down the line because that rig count is down. It's starting uh, to go down, yeah, and it takes yeah, time down. for it to get back up. It's down 150 rigs or so, I think, from a year ago. So that's something that will eventually have an impact. Very good. Robert, thank you for joining us at the end of the year show. Look forward to having you back in 2024. And I also look forward to having you do a few more shows um, since our listeners really enjoy hearing you and uh, your guests. Uh, thank you for being a guest on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks, Kim, and Merry Christmas. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.